Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Ahoy, Pete. Good. We're friends now. Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 213. Such sweet sorrow. Comes to you now via Dilithium Incubator. And just a bit of fleet news before we arrive at the episode. Tickets went on sale this week for the Deep Space Nine documentary, What We Left Behind, which will be in theaters for one night only ahead of what will surely be a streaming existence. The discussion within Fantastic Geek right now is do we go to a Monday night show in a movie or wait until Wednesday on the Netflix and I kind of feel like, as we saw with the wonderful Spock documentary, Spock documentary, Leonard Nimoy documentary, he is Spock, Pete. Um, it so quickly ended up on streaming for something I already pay for that I kind of feel like that's that's where my head is at right now. And speaking as uh, two fans and podcasters who pay for uh, CBS, who have never, ever groused about paying for new star trek if it was the type of thing where it's gonna run in the movie theater for a, a time not a night um and catch it there and then it eventually winds up on streaming is one thing there's there's past precedent for this we'll definitely check it out we will likely bring you our impressions but yeah kind of curious how quickly uh it, it's 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 coming up and may seem to wind up elsewhere. Great p preview, by the way. All the tears. I wasn't expecting tears. But Pete, moving on, trekmovie.com has a great article on the Enterprise Bridge, uh, compiling interviews with uh, Discovery production designer Tamara Deverell, uh, had with both Sci-Fi Wire and Star Trek.com. And the Trek Movie article is linked in the podcast description. We've discussed all season that when we got it, it will be reverently dealt with and i don't know how anyone anyone matt could view what came over your screen your non-holographic screen by the way uh <laughs> the other night and not be impressed with the loving uh recreation of that bridge Yes, it doesn't look like the 1960s. That's because we have 50 years of production technology to uh, avail ourselves of. It was the best possible recreation. Well, with that, on to our mission briefing. As waves gently lap on a Vulcan beach, Sarek meditates and amanda brings him incense before he senses michael's katra in trouble aboard discovery burnham's personal log from stardate 1051.8 details the evacuation of the ship in order to destroy it in frantic corridors in her quarters tilly hems and haws over which knickknacks to pack saru carefully selects his sister Serana's knife. The Enterprise is there too, tailing ship to ship, then they're getting ever closer. 
There's a countdown and a docking sequence. Don't uh, leave out the barrel roll, Matt. Pete, do a barrel roll. Absolutely, Pete. There's there's star barrel rolls everywhere this week. It seems with Star Wars and Trek alike. Uh, but here on Discovery, evacuation conduits are sent out and connected. Uh, love the use of the previously established kind of force fields to make the way there. It's uh, reminded to us that Discovery has all the sphere data. And it's time to leave. We see Spock on Discovery looking out at the Enterprise. The camera doesn't linger. Our hearts do. We see Culber re reflecting on life events as well. In Burnham's voiceover, she says that she can hardly recognize herself anymore. We see Stamets as well lingering in his spore room. Burnham says now more than ever, she wishes that she had Spock's certainty. Of the seven signals, only four have revealed themselves. Discovery has a time crystal, but not the knowledge of how to use it. Pike prompts Burnham to bring the time crystal to Enterprise. She touches it and sees a frenzied vision of the future. The most prominent image being the Enterprise with something protruding from her hull. Pike and Saru enable the remote auto-destruct on the bridge and then make their way across the evacuation corridor to an overcrowded Enterprise. Discovery is primed to blow. She will get the send-off she deserves. They catch up with Burnham and then catch a grippy-handled turbo lift to deck one and the lovingly recreated Enterprise bridge. The rollout here of the bridge and that with which precedes it is done so wonderfully. First, all right, when they're on the the hallways of the Enterprise, it, it looks like a very very nice redress. Uh, then, as you say, getting to the turbo lift, all of a sudden it's different yet familiar. And then, I remember as the turbo lift was going up, I was saying to myself, "All right, I know I have this expectation of it being <laughs> new and old, of it being familiar yet redone." 1965 and 2019 i they can't possibly do it and then they get on the bridge and they just have it is they did it. it is everything i imagined and i couldn't imagine at the same time it was tremendously done and again if you don't enjoy that I'm, I'm i'm sorry you don't like things admiral cornwell returns command to pike and number one welcomes him home sans holograms of course lieutenant I'm in of Enterprise detects Leland's armada closing. As Enterprise heads to a safe distance, Captain George Zhu has arrived and disproves of Orange, but is fascinated by Burnham's report of Gant's nanobots. She looks forward to hunting Leland down. She also says that it's good to get distance from something you love, which is so George O and also... So this show, you know, sometimes you need distance from let's do another Star Trek on the Enterprise kind of show. But uh, in the show, Pete, they get to that distance. Pike orders eyes front. The auto-destruct is initiated. We have the detonation countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. Nope. It has not destructed. Uh, they fire torpedoes at Disco. Turns out the shields are up. And all of a sudden things are proceeding very, very differently from what they had planned. Pete, what conclusion does Spock reach? The sphere data is protecting itself, and as Leland's ship enters range, Burnham gets a clearer vision. 
where a Wushikun reports an undetonated photon torpedo is lodged in Enterprise Hall in Deck 5, Section 2. Shields fall and a blast rocks Burnham on her head. Leland boards, killing Georgiou, Nan, Bryce, Nilsson, Saru, Tilly, Detmer, and Awoshikun. Leland lifts Burnham by the throat and tells her goodbye before she ends up back uh, when Discovery's auto-destruct failed. She stops the photon torpedo firing sequence by announcing it won't work as the AI is protecting itself. Leland is an hour or less away. Burnham brainstorms they need to use the time crystal to send Discovery into the future and us to the title card. Two thoughts. First, in what is the weirdest of coincidences, this is the second new CBS All Access show this week to involve rewinding back in time. Second of all, we have Spock saying of Burnham's explanation that the sphere data has merged with Discovery. He says, you sound rather certain and that rather so Nimoy, so kind of, you know, of an earlier generation of acting and just so wonderful. In those credits, Pete, we have all the regulars. We have special guest star Michelle Yeoh. This is an episode written by future showrunner Michelle Paradise. Number two at Secret Hideout, Jenny Lumet, and of course, Alex Kurtzman. Pete, this is also an episode that gives the uh, third to last production credit to James Duff. The episode is directed by Olatunde Atsudsami. In the Enterprise Ready Room, a plan is hatched to build another Red Angel suit. Pike wants to make it for his physical specifications, but Stamets points out it was designed for Dr. Burnham. Michael will send Discovery to the future since her mRNA is the closest match. They will melt down a cargo bulkhead to make the Tritanium mold. Number one wonders if Burnham could even fly the thing, but she learned the basics from her mother's mission logs. Discovery could follow her through on autopilot, but there's the question of how and if she'll return will the last jump be the jump home Giorgio, of course thinks all of this is very very silly they uh, have another problem they could use a red giant to uh, jumpstart the time crystal uh, to do that they could shoot a red dwarf which everybody agrees despite there being no bad ideas this idea from Giorgio uh, is a very bad idea pike and crew go back to the discovery no, uh, number one notes before they leave that she has retrofitted tactical flyers. Pete, that's because number one wants to set up an awesome space battle for the season finale next week. Uh, Enterprise is going to warp to the signal. Disco will spore jump there. They go to a planet which, hey, Pete, it's Zahia. Tilly knows about that. She does. She knows the queen, after all. Uh, they share a love of engineering. This, of course, from the very first short trek so they were seeding the two-part finale matt in the um the runaway uh short trek all the way back when in uh what october yeah october um so with uh poe here at zahia the queen you know her serene highness mahani 
Ikahali Kapo, or Poe for short, though only 17, she's developed technology to recrystallize dilithium, but she's hesitant to share the secret after having stuffed herself in a cargo pallet. In engineering, we see Stamets cleaning the old spore jump to a cube there and uh, hurrying everyone along to get the retrofit underway. Culber shows up asking if Stamets is all right. Uh, Stamets says that he is, but he's really thinking of that job at the Vulcan Science Academy or maybe going to a station <laughs> like there'd be a Star Trek show at the space station. You know what I mean? Um, but the space between the two of them, though, maybe that space is what's best as... They break my heart, Pete. Forward motion. Hugh gets it. The most honest choice for them both. They wish each other happiness, and Culber explains he's headed to Enterprise. In the transporter room, Pike, Burnham, and Tilly welcome Poe with Spumoni, which she's unable to replicate despite her engineering brilliance. Burnham looked taller in her photos, and Pike's pronunciation of her name is perfect. On the Eden Walk, Poe learns they have a time crystal and a time suit. Georgiou snarks, but Poe passed a law against it on her planet. Uh, she takes a look at all the sciences and the maths and such, and, you know, just does the nuclear particle physics in her head, as one does. She decides that she could replicate the supernova. Wait a minute, Pete. That's the supernova that's been teased at needing to be a power source for some time. Uh, Poe notes that this will take energy. Hey, it could be spore drive energy. But now we have the new problem of continuous energy regeneration will burn out the crystal. So this, again, means that Burnham can't come back as we head to an act break. We come back with a really long, really wonderful shot of a work bee coming in. The camera's upside down as we go into the shuttle bay. Then it turns all around. I thought we were going to stay in the shuttle bay, but we don't, Pete. Take us to the bridge. Burnham informs the bridge of her one-way trip to take the sphere data out of play to her mother's anchor point of Tyrolesium. Tyler objects because it's a theory and she could be lost anywhere at any time. Pike make it, makes it clear, however, discovery must clear a path and anything in her vicinity will be pulled into the future. Eyes up for Commander Burnham. Uh, we are given... Pete's beloved story clock here. Enterprise is 57 minutes away. Control is 10 minutes behind them. Uh, with that, Burnham starts to give her last goodbyes. She loves everyone. Spock and evil Giorgio included. Uh, that's me calling her evil, not Burnham. Uh, she thanks them for the greatest moments in her life. And Pete, this was the first moment where I said to myself, wait a minute, is the show fundamentally starting to rechange itself? More on that in theories a little later. Uh, but Pete, take us back to engineering where Poe is building. Poe senses Tilly's fear, but tells her it'll be fine because Tilly taught her to walk tall the same way Tilly will one day when she has a ship of her own to command. Tilly thanks her for helping, but Poe points out her people are at risk too. Poe's device is working and there will now be enough dark energy for the crystal soon. But Poe intends to stay, however to help protect her planet. Indeed, her planet, her sister. Uh, we also get a Giorgio and Burnham walk and talk. Uh, Giorgio saying that this is ridiculous for Burnham to be a rubber band martyr. Uh, does Burnham have gaping character flaws? If so, they're going to talk about it if 
Burnham gets back. Uh, we have Burnham still walking and stumbles across Spock and Amanda. How did he know that she was in need? It is, as Pete said at the beginning of the episode, they're linked Katras. Sarek is saddened that she's truly leaving. Again, wait, what? Is the show really committing to this? Uh, Burnham thanks Sarek and Amanda for finding her broken and alone and putting her back together and giving her a family. Sarek asks for forgiveness in his failings as a father and to Amanda as a husband. He will be there for Spock, though he will keep the distance that Spock has asked of him. And uh, Burnham notes that Spock loves Sarek, and in this moment, Pete, all love Burnham. And I think we've done a lot to address that when Spock will come across Sarek and Amanda during the original series, that there is this distance between them. You know, so many people have pointed out um, when uh, they come aboard in uh, Journey to Babel that uh, Kirk doesn't even know that Sarek and Amanda are Spock's parents. Um, so the, the estrangement will linger, but the, the love never wavers, Matt. Ah, so true, Pete, so true. Um, I will say, though my opinion changed as the episode went on, in this moment, I was emotionally buying the notion that Sonico Martin-Green would not be a part of the show next season. Not throwing that even out as a theory, of course, but just in the moment, in the emotion of it, I was completely buying her goodbye. Her series you of goodbyes, I should say. Are you saying, Matt, that a science fiction franchise could stick a lead character in some kind of story box and allow some time to pass and their fate could be in some way unsure as they are hung up on the wall of Jabba's palace? <laughs> or maybe they make an entire movie about searching for a character to bring them back by the end. Uh, folly, Pete, such folly. Burnham watches Sarek and Amanda leave in his shuttle to end the act there, placing her hand emotionally on the transperisteel window. We then move into Burnham's quarters as she puts on the Red Angel suit, which a lot of eagle-eyed viewers picked up in the preview from last week that this was coming and she's watching her mother's mission logs that explain that humans were not meant for time travel even though we travel through time every second <laughs> pete i don't think that's what dr burnham meant but uh, your point is a good one as well um there's a little story winking in terms of uh dr mom thanking whoever made the suit uh, whoever made the tech, rather, the, for the suit that protects her. She's about to talk navigation when we hear that the Enterprise is now 20 minutes out and Tilly is at the door of the shared quarters. Her and Burnham hug and have their goodbyes. We're not much of one because that's not who they are. However, in the hall, there's a group goodbye or not because everyone there assembled has decided that they are going to stay with Burnham. Uh, Burnham says, but you're going to abandon your families. And in this kind of ultimate restatement of going on a Star Trek, Saru says that life in the stars is uncertainty and a family of itself. And uh, Burnham is ready to give a speech, but they're running out of time. And it turns out this crew stays with her. Though I've not yet seen the finale, I have to say that this was the 
funniest and most touching script of the of the season thus far. And it's moments like this. I know, Matt, we glimpsed a couple of uh, errant tweets that uh, said this episode is is filler, that it was uh, 50 plus minutes of, you know, them moving things in advance of the finale. Let's understand to production that they went into season two with a 13 episode order. We got the extra episode because what do you know, this finale grew into two parts. Um, and it seems like this where you don't rush the story where we have to have the emotional space here of the crew, even Reno, Matt, you know, that there's been this refrain of where's Jet Reno? Where's Jet Reno? She's there, man. She's duct taping a Jeffrey's tube. Let her do her job. And when she needs to go into sick bay and give Culver a hard time under the guise of a hangnail, she'll do it. You know, I think some of the great feedback, listener feedback that we've gotten this season has been, you know, we don't need to necessarily give equal time to the Star Trek Discovery haters. This isn't we report, you decide. This is we're going to talk about the things that we like and sometimes the things that we're not crazy about. But just to know that there's people on there who watch this show every week, the same as we all do, and hate it, and then go online and you know, not just continue that hate. Like, you know, if there's something you don't like, you want to complain about it, fine, absolutely. Why would you do that? Why would you spend money to watch something that brings you such anger, disappointment, you know, irrespective of the fact that there's millions of people that watch Star Trek Discovery and love it and were, were enchanted by this episode in particular, which brought back the Enterprise in a way that we haven't seen before. Because this, is, this isn't the sleek full reimagining that we saw in the JJ movies uh, of the Enterprise Bridge either but why would you why would you add negativity to your life i don't know i i think there are some people out there who who don't know what it is they love um and you know i love star trek and i love this show and tyler loves burnham matt but he can best serve her in the gray areas and not by going with her. Here we are, Pete. It's towards the end of another season of Discovery. And what are we doing? It looks like we're getting ready to write out Tyler again. I was convinced of it last season. I guess fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice. Well, I'm prepared to say goodbye to Tyler again. She's ready to walk away, uh, then runs back and kisses him. And it's... I have not loved the Tyler Burnham romance this season in part because i feel like they had their goodbye and when the romance has come back i haven't fully bought it but there's such an emotional honesty in this moment of what is being presented as a truly final goodbye she's leaving and planning on not coming back and not like because i'm moving across the country it's i'm moving out of this time and you'll be dead when i reappear it's just 100 percent honest and 100 percent authentic more from me when we get to theories, Matt. Saru sends a message to Serana that a battle is coming and he hopes that everything works out for her. Again, in his uh, really visually interesting quarters, 
what with the vines creeping down and the the uh, the grass everywhere. Tilly sends a message to her mother um, that though she may not have made her proud, she's made herself proud, and she hopes that she can respect that. And what a powerful message. I mean, certainly one would hope that every child makes their parent proud, but here we see Tilly having this notion of self-determination in terms of she is assured of the path she is taking in life and indeed this massive sacrifice that she's now making. Um, one that, you know, I don't think anybody's theory is at the end of the season, Discovery blows up, the end, they're all dead, uh, it's canceled, etc. But Tilly doesn't know that. They could make their way through and then be promptly blown up on the other side or in the time portal process or whatever. And for Tilly to be at peace with herself as a person, as a woman, as a scientist, as an officer, it's such a powerful moment. And then we get additions with some of the characters who we haven't seen as much of. Awoshikan is asking for forgiveness for taking her own path away from her family. Let's not forget Pete. She comes from the, uh, was it the Luddite society that had rejected technology? Yes. And I, I think, you know, we've, we've definitely gotten more of her. We've gotten more of Detmer this season, the whole Arium arc. They're, they're filling out our feelings for the rest of the bridge crew here. And, and just these quick little snatches to see them recording these personal goodbyes too in, informs them so much as characters. And as near as I could tell, all done in one shot. You know, the camera moves away from, who do we start with? The camera moves away from Tilly and then physically moves to Owo, who's, you know, in real life, in filming, I think is sitting next to her. It's meant to be, you know, in her quarters. But in that time, Mary Wiseman has gotten up and been replaced with uh, Emily Coots as Detmer, who then sits down in that spot. The camera moves back. I mean, point is, I'm kind of, in explaining it, I'm chopping up how smooth it is, but it's this mm -hmm. wonderful shot that Olatunde Yatsunsami gains here from Owo to Detmer, who is saying goodbye to, you're my rock, Tazzy. Pete, listen, I have not read any of the Discovery novels, in part because I get the sense that they're written in a vacuum and they get like six details of like, oh yeah, mention the Baran. Oh sweet, now it's all connected when, it, when it's not, and that's fine. Pete, you give me the Detmer novel comic book or whatever we where we get to meet tazzy i'm there i am all there and then to engineering where stamets recording his goodbye uh to his sister and the admission that uh everybody helps one another indeed he wasn't the favorite he was just louder the story moves to pike on the bridge he's wearing his yellow He's ready to leave, and he's turning command over to act break and fake out because, Pete, he's not actually about to finish that sentence. He just starts it because it's a really great act break. I mean, it's heavily implied, Matt. It's it's going to be Saru, but but there's, there's just not enough time. Uh, indeed, after the act break, we have uh, a shot on the Discovery Bridge with Pike up front giving a pep talk to everyone who is exceptional, including you, Saru. As for Spock, there aren't words. And of course, this is this moment, Pete, where everybody, even those of us who, like like you and I, who do not twitch when there's the slightest deviation from 
thing shot in 1965 or six. Um, there's this moment where it's like, whoa, you know, Spock is not staying, right? Like there's going to be a certain thing where Spock has to go back. You know that, right, Pike? Well, I guess he doesn't, but uh, definitely staying apparently for Shorzy's is non who wants to stay too. At least we're all clear on that. Yeah. And in a, in an episode of emotional farewells, this is one that Anson Mount has earned throughout the season. He took to Twitter uh, and actually uh, we at fantastic geek had retweeted it, you know, um, the, uh, the star Trek account with the, the little thank you, Jif there and then him replying no thank you so he definitely understands the magnitude of what he's been involved with this Matt his first role after a Marvel television show in which he spoke two words an entire season one of them being something that his uh, flashback child self made his parents a stain on a wall Yes, he's definitely had a, a bit of a career uptick since the last series. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, Pike tells Burnham that most don't get to know what is in their own hearts, and he's grateful to have watched her discover her own heart. Pete, that's like how Alex Kurtzman at New York Comic Con said it's not just about uh, external discovery, it's about discovery on the inside as well. Wait a minute, Pete, that's the same Alex Kurtzman that helped write this episode. Uh, bottom line is that Pike knows that all of them will face destinies with bravery and honor. And what a tremendous 180 we've had. You know, we had the the tough and demanding and grizzled, battle-tested Gabriel Lorca in season one. And we get the the fatherly, just steady as all get out. Uh, Captain Pike in season two and indeed seeing his future going willingly toward his future in terms of helping Starfleet and the Federation combat this threat. Uh, with that, it's time for him to go. And as for the captaincy, well, Saru says that's a discussion for later, which Pete, I totally get the conventions of the penultimate episode. Just want to point out a couple of things here. As somebody who, you know, Star Trek me is a pretty rank and file kind of officer. But Pete, bottom line is this. We have, by my count, three people with the rank of commander that are on the bridge. One is in the security track. One is in the sciences track. And one is in the command track. Uh, is it really going to be anybody other than Saru who also has the most time in the rank of commander? Well, I mean, you're a big fan of Survivor, Matt. Are, are they going to do some kind of reveal with Officer Probst of uh, Section 31 to find out that bulbous-headed alien got three votes to everybody else's two? This is a CBS uh, joint, after all. I guess it's not impossible, but just not likely. I, Pete, I can assume we'll find out either in the next episode or... You know, the one after that, season three, which I'm sure is going to arrive completely on time without any production being pushed. None whatsoever, Matt. Stamets and Reno and Tilly gather to check out Poe's device here that is charging the crystal. And uh, it's a really interesting as well as humorous conversation. 
as you said earlier, Pete, you know, oh, people have wondered, where's Reno? Where's Reno? They were saving her for when they needed her most. And to have another expert uh, engineering person here in this moment of, uh, you know, where things need to literally be engineered together, the technology, the power management, et cetera, et cetera. It's a great use of the character. Now is the time to have the actress back whose time is not infinite. There's a reason why she's not a series regular. Um, and to have worked it out all with her schedule and to have her here in this part, I assume also the season finale, it's something that profoundly makes sense in a way that, you know, wouldn't have if, if it was just, you know, there she is. You know, I mean, Pete, we've had episodes without Mary Wiseman because the story didn't call for her. Same thing here with Reno. Now's the time to have her, not earlier. Stamets still doesn't like her despite her taking the sacrificial uh, role here and the feelings mutual, Matt. And then she touches the time crystal and she too gets a vision from the future yes she she sees the torpedo hitting the enterprise or having hit the enterprise uh with that saru calls all hands to stations orders a red alert pike is getting ready to beam out uh he and tyler of course are going to head to the enterprise and just as they uh get that annular confinement beam starting to, to take them pete Giorgio admits to him in being from the mirror universe and uh pike asks what mirror universe and winks at her. Yeah, the the first viewing, you don't necessarily catch the wink there, um, as if Christopher Pike isn't on top of everything and everybody on both ships he's responsible for. We get an exterior shot. All of the 31 ships arriving, our ships look little compared to all of them. Um, Pike is on the bridge and notes that uh, Discovery and Enterprise are surrounded. Just want to point out, Section 31 has decided to be like horizontally arranged around them. Space is a 3D place, but that's okay. We're watching it from, you know, an earthbound perspective. <laughs> With all these 31 ships surrounding the Enterprise and the Discovery, they're all armed. Saru declares that we should prepare for battle. Pete, you can hear the battle about to happen with our threat analysis alarms going off. And this will be an interesting discussion because this is a story. Yes, it's kind of part one of two and whatnot. But this is a story that does not have a conventional villain showing up and saying, I shoot at you, uh, you know, or go get this. Otherwise, that will happen. Well, I mean, that happens in a manner of speaking in the unique nature of the narrative of this episode, but it's why we call this section of the podcast, this segment, Matt threat analysis and not bad guys or what have you. So we begin with the sphere AI, which we're going to blow up the, the titular vessel of the TV show. Oh wait, it protected itself. All of this makes sense. And it was like when they realize, oh, no, the AI has merged with the ship and it's protecting itself. I genuinely had a moment where it was like, come on, guys, you should have anticipated this. But you know who else didn't anticipate it? Me. So fair is fair. I'm getting as much information, at least story wise, as all the characters are. And 
it's a nice twist. I think that my initial, again, you know, just for, for literally a second, but my initial problem with it was because it had been seeded and it was quote unquote obvious, but it was not obvious to the point that the characters were acting unintelligently. It was just, this should be no surprise to we, the viewer, because it's been made clear that the AI on discovery is elevating, elevating, elevating. It's a different type of threat than we're traditionally used to dealing with than they are used to dealing with. So the, the story options presented and, and there is the, the choice to be made. And I would argue the correct one with Leland, Matt, we glimpse him. His, his shadow looms large. We see him uh, literally in the flash forward in the time crystal vision. We'll discuss what, if anything, that means, given the story constraints put around time crystals in the previous episode. But for him to show up, kill everyone on the bridge and then tell Burnham goodbye before she flash flashes back to the present certainly spells certain doom, right? <laughs> well, time will tell. And I think that the inclusion of that uh, that flash of the future that we see in this episode. I don't know at what point that story conceit was inserted into this episode, but I bet you it was for the following reason. Hey, there's no face of evil in this episode. Yes, we know Leland is a bad guy, but we keep invoking Leland is 67 minutes out. Leland is, you know, Enterprise will be here in 11 minutes, and then 10 minutes behind that is Section 31. Oh no, it's the end of the episode. 31 has arrived we don't have an actual representative of that evil. So get it in, in the first third, first quarter to remind everybody, this is what the bad guy looks like. And this is what he can do in an episode where we otherwise don't see him. And we don't see in this episode what he can do. It's also a way to leverage the stakes. This is what's what they're dealing with. Someone who wants to exterminate them, not just the bridge crew, but eventually all of sentient life. So to put that sequence in there to help understand that they are all in such mortal danger and then to create the possibility that that could be averted gives us, you know, what we're fighting against. The last, of course, Matt, faceless but not without weight, is this fleet, this armada that Leland is in command of, that control has amassed of these Section 31 ships. And I think a question that we can have at this point is, are all of these ships being controlled by control? Are these ships that have been told by, I will assume, or I will add my own flourish, you know, Section 31 Fleet Captain Leland, the real flesh and blood guy and in no way a robot, wink, wink. You know, has he said, oh my goodness, there's a rogue element on these two ships and it's a threat to everyone. You know, are these flesh and blood people uh, crewing most of the fleet who are acting in good faith, despite the fact that they are wrong? I don't know if we go there next episode or if they're all killed. Well, there's, uh, a, there's definitely something that's only mentioned twice in this episode, Matt, that, that makes that a possibility. We'll talk about it in the next segment. Well, Pete, keeping us going for the next segment, for the next episode, for all that we do at Fantastic Geek is everybody who supports us on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive 
podcast content. It all begins at a dollar, Matt, and it goes up to whatever your time crystal will allow you to donate. We just recorded and released for Patreons only our um, Avengers Endgame podcast preview, exclusive only to ever be exclusive to patrons. All it takes is a dollar. Whether you're at the admiral level or the cadet level or anywhere in between, your help is always appreciated, particularly, Pete, in these days where long-range sensors are scoping for us some terrible things. So, Pete, looking at those long-range sensors, let's go for the big one here. Is the show prepping for a major conceptual reboot for season three? Given that decisions are still occurring, Matt, for what Discovery Season 3 will look like, um, I think there are a couple possible directions. Twice in this episode, we mention um, with Tilly, her, her future as a leader. Could there be some kind of time jump slash gap between seasons two and three, where we move down the line, I'm thinking Battlestar Galactica, you know, six months, six years later, Matt, Tilly's a captain, uh, Saru's been captain of Discovery for some time. If, if we still have a Discovery then, if, if it's not called Star Trek Enterprise. <laughs> it, it is pretty amazing to be at a point this far into the show, particularly you know, nowadays with, because what's the episode count going to be when this, uh, when the season is done? 29, 30 episodes. 29. Um, you want to include the short treks as a 15th episode. I kind of informally do, although Pete, it's increasingly clear. Not only did the Saru short trek, we, you know, we were told by Bo Yan Kim that it was shot at the same time. Uh, by the way, Pete, when I say we, I mean, you know, she replied to our tweet. Um, but that uh, short trek was shot with the Serana episode. I think we can safely assume that while they had the Poe actress either during the filming of this episode or the next episode or after wrapping for the season, but you know, like season wrap Wednesday, Thursday, we and Friday we shoot a short trek. You know, it was done kind of in a, in a lump there as well. Um, just anyhow, the point that the short treks were way more connected to things than we initially thought. That much is is obvious, but. Bottom line is I would count the short treks as a 15th episode, but 30 episodes into a show nowadays that for some shows that's three seasons or four seasons or five yeah. seasons worth 30 episodes in that we might be fundamentally changing what this show about. It boggles my mind. It really does. The show has always been about reinvention though. Those first two episodes of this series are so different than the rest of it. Then there's, boarding discovery then there's the terran universe then there's uh the return from the terran universe and and the the elimination of the the klingon threat and then you know the the kind of arcs we've gone through in in season two which is far more of a of a straight through line than season one um but i just think this foreshadowing with tilly throughout the season really kind of portends a possible possible direction, Matt. I'm not saying 
that's the one in which they will go. This, again, as writer's room work continues on season three. You mentioned Bo Yan Kim and, you know, bring in her writing partner, Erica Lipholt. They are both working on season three of Star Trek Discovery and working on the as of yet publicly unnamed Giorgio pilot, which is going to series. This at a time when we know from Patrick Stewart, Matt, that rehearsals have begun on the yet unnamed Picard series. And evolution, no doubt, in season three, uh, however that's going to unfold. Uh, Pete, this is a sentiment that uh, people tend to agree with. Uh, We ran a quick poll on Twitter. Uh, Two-thirds of people, just about two-thirds of people, uh, would agree with the idea that the show is prepping for a major reboot. Uh, JT Atkins kind of echoes what you were saying, Pete, in terms of some of the storylines that have not exactly rebooted, but have continued to reshape what the show is. Um, he, he says that, of course, the show essentially rebooted at the end of the third season. Uh, Disco Dennis said, and same thing at the beginning of this season. And uh, R. Moore, 79, again, probably not Ronald D. Moore, writer and whatnot, but um, uh, are more proposing that season three might be about the the exploration of the galaxy in the 33rd century. So it seems like we're all on the same page. It's almost like if they don't follow through with this, and if it's like, oh man, we did rubber band back, everything's okay now, will we be let down a little bit? I don't know. I don't think that we will. Twice in this episode, Matt, the concept of what we only have ship to ship radio is uh, directly mentioned. This, as the episode ends with a fleet of Section 31 ships that couldn't have all ejected their human crew into the vacuum of space. Right. I mean, there'd be there'd be Starfleet officers all over the quadrant. Well, and to to do that would suggest a likely end to Section 31, something that we know is not the case by the time Deep Space Nine rolls around. So I would agree there's got to be flesh and blood creatures on these ships, um, as I said earlier, acting in good faith that their orders are to stop the rogue elements on Discovery and, and uh, Enterprise. What about humans having katras? I mean, yes, we know that Vulcans do. We know that there's a touch of immortality to that, that it could be transferred to a human. But that Sarek says he sensed her katra. Humans have katras? Well, Pete, I know this is a a novel thing, especially amongst uh, some people that are just Star Trek fans. Uh, But, I mean, we see the whole Katra thing in the early episodes of discovery um further pete i'll I'll go back even if i know not for you personally but if for somebody somebody out there if discovery somehow is not your star trek uh i mean we see it in star trek 2 and star trek 3 mccoy is able to carry a Katra, um and it merges with him a little bit i mean to me it's not impossible if you can carry a Katra, then maybe have one in your heart already Cosmo Kramer has also made use of a Katra as well. <laughs> They're all over everywhere, Pete. They really are. The autopilot uh, glimpsed in the Arium 
funeral episode, what we thought just a way, Matt, for them to get everybody into the shuttle bay for a uh, tear-drenched funeral was instead a preview of how Burnham might lead Discovery through a wormhole. And it's little things like that where despite, you know, another season of Star Trek Discovery with chaos behind the scenes, um, the fact that you have an intact writer's room, the fact that you have certainly broad story arcs spelled out before episodes are uh, shot. Um, Certainly, I think scripts were still being finalized, you know, for the second half of the season when the first half was shooting and things of that sort. But the fact that you have this larger view, you can go back and say, oh, instead of saying, Seru, put the ship on autopilot, or hey, let's get Lieutenant Jones up here for bridge duty. You have that little glimpse of autopilot, and it makes sense, because who wouldn't show up for this funeral? Uh, It's a crew of 130 or so. Everybody knows everybody. Um, So it makes sense then, but also you can probably, you know, I'm I'm assuming it was inserted then, and this is what you're proposing, it was inserted then so that later on that could be just a little thread, a little bit of universe building that makes sense. Best writing, of course, being symmetrical. So let's talk symmetry, Matt. Our time crystal visions locked we'd had the story constraint that once you touch and take a time crystal from the monastery on Boreth, that you subject yourself willingly to that fate um burnham has touched one she has twice experienced this vision of the future uh frantic shots again enterprise receiving a uh an undetonated uh, torpedo in its hull, peril for everybody, potential deaths on the bridge, which, you know, we're going to kill everybody off, but her, and then almost her in season three is season three, even about any of our crew, entirely new crew. Uh, So many questions, Pete. First of all, uh, breaking news. You heard it here first. season three will be the first season with no physical crew. It will only be the, uh, the holographic, uh, you know, uh, ship's AI is shown in Calypso. The entire season will be her wandering around on the bridge, hoping to one day be a real girl a la Pinocchio. Uh, but let's dial back Pete. Oh my goodness. Let's go back in time to what you said earlier. You said that, uh, your fate is locked in. If you touch and take the crystal Tanavik said, at least when you're in the time crystal caves, that if you take the crystal, then your future is locked in, implying that you can touch it but not take. That was the choice that Pike had to make after seeing his horrible multi-phase future. Now, I don't know if the fact that the crystal has been taken now means whoever touches it is part of that locked-in fate. I would suspect not, although if there's one thing I expect from next week's episode, it is an unexploded, undetonated torpedo lodged in Enterprise's hull. Reno sees the vision of the future as well. She has decided to stay behind here. Have we set up a sacrifice, Matt, in terms of the death of Jet Reno? Well, to have heard at the Discovery Paley Fest this longtime friendship between Kurtzman and uh, Tig Nataro. I feel like there's a little bit where Reno could be the canary in the coal mine. 
if Reno somehow escapes, like midway through the episode, Reno escapes and transports over to Enterprise or whatever it might be, then maybe so goes Discovery in this point in time. And you could get Reno to return for an episode or two or five or whatever her availability is for next season. If Reno gets killed off, so goes I'll say the rest of the timeline. I don't mean there for everybody is destroyed, but there goes discovery in this timeline, because if you're throwing away that timeline and they are, you know, beep, beep, next stop is the 33rd century. And the plan is not to return, at least as far as can be planned with whoever is in charge uh, of discovery season three at this point, um, then you can get rid of her because you're also getting rid of, of Cornwell and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and not looking back. So let's watch that for next episode. Speaking of visions of the future, do we want a future without Colmets? No, but we also want stories that have weight and stories that have impact. And I think back to our discussion prior about, you know, is the show rebooting itself? Another way to put that is life. You know, things happen and you're not the same afterwards. And it's not necessarily the big things like a death or a breakup. It's things like completing your education or moving or, you know, all the steps that you take in life are steps away from where you were and to a new point. And that's what the show has continued to do. It's continued to evolve. So do I want Wilson Cruz and Anthony Rapp playing characters that are in love with each other in season three? Absolutely. Might the show have decided, independent of, you know, oh, man, Wilson Cruz secretly is, he signed on to be in another show, won't be available next season, or or whatever. Could it just be a case where the powers that be have said, you know, the show Island demands its pound of flesh, and we need to give something that hurts and not give it back? Um, maybe, and maybe this is it, because this would hurt more than anything else. Um Plus, you add to it, I mean, Wilson Cruz, again, kind of a credited cast member, but not credited in every episode. I'm still not entirely clear what that means in the world of Hollywood. Other shows do it. Maybe some of our Hollywood people listening want to send me a DM, help me explain that, uh, or help explain that to me, rather. Then I can explain it to everyone, and we're all circle of life and happiness and whatnot. But my point is, Pete, he has a more tenuous place on the show than Anthony Rapp, who presumably has a fairly ironclad X number of season deal to do Star Trek Discovery. Last one from me. I'm never more certain than I am right now that the trajectory of Ash Tyler, um, what with I'm not going with you, Burnham, I'm going to operate in the gray areas. One, we're looking at the Klingon intervention in the season finale. What with the D seven cruiser that he's helped to design. And two, uh, go ahead and uh, put him in ink right now in the Section 31 Giorgio show. I'm convinced he's going to be a main member of that cast. I feel like we have three options, and none of these are necessarily going to give a definitive answer. But one is absolutely positively what you are saying, and that is Occam's razor. It is the, the clearest route, the easiest answer, and I would 100% welcome that. He, as this odd voice of conscience against uh, Emperor Giorgio's madcap, you know, energy, I think right there, there's your buddy cop, there's your, 
you know, Picard and Riker kind of, you know, tut, tut, don't be a mother hen, number one, kind of, it's all there. The setting, the, the, the setting, the potential is all there. Uh, another option is he, at the last minute, miraculously makes it to Discovery uh, before they snap in the future, and then he remains on this show. A third option is maybe this is the, you know, Christ-like uh, sacrifice death that the show is looking for to break our hearts and to really say, oh man, he was so integral to the first season and then they did away with him. And then they kind of, well, guest star for this episode, then not there and then back, back, back in a huge way. Maybe this is the character. I mean, Pete, I hope it's not both. Don't take Culber and Tyler out of Star Trek forever. But if Culber's headed to the Enterprise and they're not going to do pike's enterprise as a series and you know I, I don't know maybe maybe we lose tyler it's all pete my, my heart is palpitating is it thursday night at 8 30 yet i don't know with that let's go to hailing frequencies hailing frequencies open sir let us start pete as we always do with the twitter poll about this episode your choices four stars enterprising three stars space station two stars rubber band snap and one star dwarf star heart pete that was meant to be anybody who picks that has a dwarf star heart uh and eight percent of people did not see the episode or complain about it on twitter or whatever three percent said two stars eight percent said uh three stars and 81 percent said four stars enterprising of course they did because the people matt can see greatness when it's in front of them we heard from Andre Yeager, that's at Dr. Polo 1983 on Twitter. He said, I like the way they are tying back to the short tracks. Indeed, none of us really, at least in my mind, Pete, none of us saw it coming that the short tracks would be essential viewing. I mean, waste not, want not, right? That that information would come around in a circuitous way makes it all the more necessary to go and watch those things yeah they they wanted to have content early on to get people back on their service but now it creates the possibility you can go back and inform these full-length episodes with those minisodes we heard from our pal bob keely r keely on twitter who said wow is right amazing this show so often gets it right uh, disagreeing slightly is Disco Dennis. It's that orb of prophecy. I thought the ep was solid, but wished it was less set up for part two, which I guess is a general complaint concerning the first part of a two-parter in general. Two more tweets, Pete. Actually, two more pairs of tweets. First, let's hear from James. It's at Big Killen, who says four stars for the Enterprise Bridge alone. I don't think so many great characters have existed so well together in one show before. Poe was not having any of Philippa's nonsense, and I think the Empress respects the Queen. Uh, he also says, also, futile reference from Spock and Pike's casual comfort with the Mirror Universe. Was that a link to Lorca? What do you think, Pete? I don't think it's a link to Lorca. I, I think there there remains a, a Lorca story possibility moving forward. For all we know, that's the 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 link to season three. Um, I really like the queen empress dynamic though. Can, can we give those two a show? <laughs> uh, Pete, maybe we're setting up Poe joining Starfleet and getting an instant commission as a Lieutenant or a, a Lieutenant commander. And then you could have like hilarities. Like 
You can't tell me to clean my quarters. Yes, I can. You're only Lieutenant Commander. I'll be great. Action comedy. Uh, anyhow, Pete, last pair of tweets here from JT Atkins. That's at JTA is me. I don't keep a log of such things, but I'm confident I've never had this many tears during an episode of Star Trek. So much heart, hope, pathos, and bravery in this episode of Star Trek Discovery. Oh, and did I mention the Enterprise? How do they keep getting everything so right? A million kudos to everyone in this episode. Sweet sorrow indeed. To Facebook, Matt, where John Stewart writes in, Episode 12, Through the Valley of Shadows, was fascinating. They're really leaning into the fundamentals of Western tradition this season, and the show heavily used the theme of the divine as being timeless. Oddly enough, I was listening to an episode of the History of the Papacy podcast while doing housework right after the episode, and the topic was the philosophy of Bothius. The late classical scholar tried to solve the predestination problem by describing God as seeing time as a scene laid before him and not as something he needed to experience. That idea was a perfect description for how the Klingon monks living in the Gothic cathedral saw the divine. Deep Space Nine essentially did the same thing as prophets slash wormhole aliens lived outside of time. So it is an existing theme. If I remember correctly, Star Trek V touched on the same idea, but it's best if no one remembers that movie. <laughs> Matt, hang on a second. My my pain runs deep. Can I share it with you? Uh, if it's about Star Trek V, please don't. I need, I need my pain. <laughs> Makes me who I am. <sighs> Let's just leave that first marriage of Sarek and the offspring that uh, were a product of it. Let's just leave that in its neat little if Star Trek season, 5 package. If season three is not the search for Cybok, it's a missed opportunity. <sighs> Agree to disagree. With that, Pete, are you ready to hear from our pal Fred in the Netherlands? I have my hollow screen ready. Hello, Matt and Pete. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Episode 13. Really, when Pike walked onto the USS Enterprise bridge, I really got the shivers. I think they did a very nice job in finding a nice equilibrium between new and old, with a lot of references just to the old Enterprise. What I liked most was the returning of Poe into this episode and the interaction with Tilly and the way this 17-year-old queen is acting and how smart she is. Very nice. And actually the best quote of the episode was said by her, in my opinion. One of the fun things about becoming queen of the most politically relevant planet in the galaxy is that I don't have to listen to any snark. And she was saying this towards Georgiou. What I found a little less enjoyable was all the goodbye recordings of the crew members and Burnham saying goodbye to Amanda and uh, Sarek. It was a bit too much. Some of it was nice. Uh, we heard some backgrounds of some of the crew members, but a little bit of overload. From a storytelling uh, perspective, I can understand this, but in the tense situation that it was, I thought it took just a little bit too much time. 
strange that Zarek and Amanda were there. Very nice, though, that Zarek apologized. One shot that I liked a lot is when Saru and Pike verify the remote auto-destruct and they put their hands on these fingerprint recognition machines. And first you see Saru touching this and then you have in, in front of that, out of focus, Pike's hand. And then after Saru has verified his order, then it switches in focus to the front and then you see Anson Mount's hand with a lot of hairs on it. And this transition only in the two, three seconds was so nicely filmed. And in this close-up you also see the homage to the old Enterprise because of the choice of lights and buttons etc. Okay, that was all for now. Till the finale next week. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. P.S. And we'll have no more holographic communications ever. Pete, I don't know what we'll be able to do without the holographic image of Fred suddenly appearing in our recording studio. But luckily we have a few things from him to uh, chew over now. I love his use of the word here, how the show has shown reverence for the Enterprise Bridge. And that's what it is, that you're not going to recreate it. It could not be recreated. Um, was it cool to see Montgomery Scott on the next generation step into a holodeck recreation of the 1960s styled bridge? It was. How goofy would that look now? Well, I know Fred also mentions kind of the, the buttons and the clicky things. Uh, some of those taken from the bridge recreation that uh, the star trek tour has there in ticonderoga new york which we have to do sometime but uh james Cauley, the mind behind it and also the the sometimes on screen uh kirk for the the productions he used to do uh he had sent them uh you know screen accurate replicas of buttons and blinkies and whatnot several months ago something he revealed in the last couple days but pete fred in his opinion, there were too many goodbyes. Let me ask you this, building off of Fred's thought here. Will the goodbyes have been too much if it doesn't stick for next season? If we get a magic fix and we're still in the 23rd century, will the goodbyes have been too much? As you mentioned before, there has to be weight to the story. Otherwise, nothing ever means anything. Will everyone stick around? I don't think so. Does that mean that there's death? Doesn't necessarily need to be that way. But it would be silly to tread this water and to do this and stretch it out if there's not resonance in this season two finale. Well, between now and the finale, let's hear your theories. Let's hear your thoughts. Pete, how can people be in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-L-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10,410 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, on Instagram, on Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the p with the h like it share it talk about it join us today 
Well, for those listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, okay, we have some stuff on our radar. First of all, <laughs> we can definitely officially say that we'll be doing the God Friended Me season finale. Uh, we'll be recording that on Monday, watching it tomorrow, Sunday. Also, tomorrow, Sunday, we'll be watching a thing midday, then podcasting it. Not going to quite say what that is yet, but for some people, they could probably maybe start to figure it out. I know, Pete, there's one person who definitely knows, but she's going to keep that a secret. Um, anything else on our radar? Yeah, uh, Cloak and Dagger episode two, Matt, which we will be dropping on uh, Sunday on tomorrow as well. Indeed, Pete, super excited to be talking Cloak and Dagger as well. Busy times, but also great times here on the USS Fantastic Geek. So with that, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you, Pete, the final word. Trust the mystery. <laughs> <laughs>